Welcome to Unreliable Narrator, a podcast which accompanies the exhibition A Fire in My Belly at the Julius Stoschek Collection in Berlin. In this episode, the artist Chenna Taker speaks about their performance Kirk Pinar, which is part of the exhibition and was co-presented with Berlin Artenal in late October this year at Kraftwerk. Here, Chenna speaks about the origins of the performance, its conception as a product of growing up in the Turkish diaspora in Germany, the influence of queer nightlife and spaces in their stance on performance documentation, and the notion of care, amongst other things. We also invited the curator Joel Mu onto this episode to speak with us. Joel has worked closely with Chenna, presenting their piece Forever Endless in 2018 at Kunsthaus Kuhle as part of Joel's curatorial program, MI1 Glissé, Groups and Individuals. My name is Eugene Yunam-Chung, the curatorial assistant of A Fire in My Belly and JSC Berlin. So welcome to the podcast, Chenna, Joel. Um, very excited to have you on here to talk about your work, Chenna, and also your relationship, your working relationship together, the two of you. And I wanted to begin by talking a little bit about Kirk Pinar because the work was included officially as part of A Fire in My Belly and also um, was co-presented with Artenal. But Chenna, would you be able to sort of give us a, a bit of an overview of what the work is and, and how the work came about? Maybe that's how we should, should start. Well, thank you for the invitation, first of all. Um, so Kirk Pinar is mainly about the reference to oil wrestling. It's a, it's a national Turkish sports, which is called Yale Guresh. And Kirpunar is a festival that this competition takes place in. And the national sports is uh, over 600, 700 years old, which is performed in the stadium close to Istanbul in Turkey, close to the border to... Which border is it? Fuck, I forgot the border. <laughs> <laughs> Some border, okay. Some bo- yeah. I think it's Bulgaria or Greece, the border to the gates to Europe, kind of, you know? It's interesting to think about um, this idea of the gate to Europe, yeah. uh, particularly because a lot of your work draws from Turkish references and I guess your lived experience and embodiment as, you know, a Turkish person having grown up in, in Germany. Maybe this is a nice point to ask about how you find ways to use signifiers of your Turkish heritage in the work that you produce and maybe what kind of ideological difficulties come up from that. Yeah, I can start from there. So I think one important notion from Kirkpunal is also that it came from like working through hypermasculinity and then like in, in queering these terms, which means or what I take as practice of blurring boundaries and borders. So the hypermasculinity comes from like seeing these sports on video and on pictures and seeing these men competing with each other to, like in the sense of who's the strongest man, so-called man, during the sports. And in the spaces I researched before, it was in 2019 and I started the research in 18 also a bit, where the spaces of, of gyms of martial arts are like mixed martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu in which these, the people that practiced there had a c- certain gaze towards this oil wrestling. They made jokes out of it, no? So, because it is so eroticized and it's so homoerotic. And I took that as an interesting notion because I, I grew up in Germany and then there's this Turkish notion in it and I was this gaze towards German-Turkish people and then the gaze towards this very specific sports that they read as a joke or as a homoeroticism. 
And I took these degrading jokes as the beginning of what was to come. And that was like, what I've seen it is was like being vulnerable in the space together. And like work, working through that was working through querying it and working through the, the, the gaze that I experienced in these gyms. And it all came together in this piece. So what's like really interesting, the, the pandemic fucked my research actually because I wanted to see... I wanted to see it live so I can have a means of translating it, but it was never possible. So I, I worked very visually, which is also my background. So I guess it's a kind of um, trying to find a different mode of reading against how Germans read, you know, a work of hypermasculinity or how, how they perceive hypermasculinity in a way that is erotic. Exactly. And you're trying to form a reading against that. Okay. And I feel like that's something that's been a thread throughout a lot of your work, um, particularly this, I, this eros or this kind of like queer eros, and particularly in the work that um, you showed with Joel, I think in 2018, Forever Endless. So maybe this is a nice point for, for Joel, you to talk about that experience working with Chenna and, and how, yeah, how you came about, you know, finding their work and, and how that relationship transpired. Yeah, thanks, Eugene, for also for the invitation. And it's also nice to see you again, Chenna, on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think events like these, like the, 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 this chance to revisit past work is like very important because when I was going through my notes, I was I had remembered that when we had presented this work or when I had presented this work with Jason Patterson and Chenna uh, in 2018, like in many other projects, there's always this element where there are other participants involved, mm. whether that is... And here was Jason Patterson as well. Yeah, there was Jason. Yeah. And then, but also, also from, you know, and I think Chenna continues to do this in their current work, which is to, you know, about the documentation, how, how work is framed, how work is spoken about, how work is communicated. And I don't know if, I, if you would let me do this, Chenna, but like uh, when I was doing it, I, I discovered that, for example, this text by Anya Novak, it's gone now. No, it no longer exists online. So we've done this thing where, um, you know, typical in project spaces where, you know, you, you produce a performance work and then this work disappears after a few days. And then there is this kind of urgency to find somewhere to, to hold it in the cloud, you know? And so that often means like dropping it into a blog, some kind of blog, you know, all the blogs that we know. Mm. Um, and at that, at that time, um, Grupa magazine in Berlin were doing this kind of stuff. They were, you know, on a kind of curatorial kind of basis, selecting different, you know, exhibitions and performances, and then would throw up documentation. And I remember when we had done, uh, after the three days of Forever Endless, that Anya had written this amazing text. And I don't know if you would allow me to, Chenna, if you would allow me to read it, because I feel like this would be a really nice context to maybe somewhere save it, you know, like, because yeah. uh, as I'm rereading it now, it, it, it's such a, it, it was... We can form a little archive. Yeah, it was such something. a, it was also, I remember when, when because I, maybe Chenna, you can also remind, um, I, I think the way it worked was, it was a brand new performance. It was presented downstairs here at Cooler um, in, in the front gallery space, in the theater space as part of my curatorial project. But there was like two, maybe there was like one week or a week and a half work of workshop and development where you, where both you and Jason were developing um, the piece. Mm. Um, and then I think, I think Anya was actually even an outside eye. Was yeah. that right? That, yeah. And so again, this is like this thing which I, I've always found very interesting in this kind of current generation of artists where 
it's this shift away from thinking about documentation or the after effects of an exhibition or of a performance in purely kind of like service orientated kind of kind of settings like if we think in the past when you would for example take installation photography of an exhibition or you would get someone to come and take a video or photo documentation of a performance it was often organized through the institution that would do it and it would be just a you know a highly skilled highly technical kind of uh, camera operator that would come and not really have any sense maybe they might have been to a dress rehearsal but they would not really have any kind of connection to a particular subculture or a particular scene or community and i think what's really interesting about chana's uh, work and and how the work is representing and kind of like expanding is through this you know it's through these kinds of reaching out to photographers who bring in a kind of subjective point of view you know it's not this kind of objective distanced kind of form of uh, video and photo documentation but something that is actually almost as if the photographer or the videographer is kind of like embedded within the performance in the pre-performance or the after performance and is embedded within the kind of like I don't know like the psychic physical energies of the performance so that when they're making the documentation and in this case I'm really talking about Spiros Rand and and how Spiros when Spiros comes on invitation to document performances, both Chenna's and other kind of choreographers that we know, it's done in a way which is like, it's also amazing to watch. It's, it's, it's unguided. It's almost as if it's a com- completely open thing where the work plays out almost like a, a kind of preview setting. And then um, because of a kind of degree of trust, Spiros or other collaborators would take this documentation in a way which has a special access, kind of reveals something more than just this kind of material, physical, image-based moment. And I think with Anya, it was the same. It was, you know, this text which was like moving away or, or be, being completely disinterested in this idea of like press release or, or, or blurb or project description or this kind of language and writing something which was like much more embedded as if a participant within something, you know? And I think that was really nice. So maybe I'll just read it cause I'm blabbering, but um, it was like, again, like when I was reading it the first time and then as I refound it again on my hard drive the second time, it was like, there's so much in it, which is like, yeah, it's really this kind of artist perspective that comes in, you know, which is, you know, Spiros is an artist, Anya is also an artist and, and working with, you know, the artists that, that were, you know, that are uh, Chana and Jason. So they write, um, mask babies on a come down. It's as if those boys' eyes, wrists and rectums were linked to each other with tight yet elastic strings, interchangeably bringing them closer and further apart spilling out of all night and day-long choreographies on the dance floor, the bathroom and the dark room. No to sass, no to camp, no to virtuosity, no to the seduction of the spectator by the wiles of the performer, yes to psychoactive dramaturgies, yes to expression and non-resemblance, yes to cold intimacies, yes to children games, yes to always wanting more. There's hygiene in this choreography, a set of practical abstracted movements, sometimes in unison, sometimes in chaos, partly tender, surprisingly sober. Hands stroke each other. They are being washed. They aim at me and others. 
they press against the floor and the body and the other performer to sustain the technique of a moving forward and supportive desire to technically and endlessly support desire. I want it, you want it, he wants it. We'll figure out the protocol. Things occur in intervals here. They take just the time they need. Time spent on queuing to the bathroom, on metabolizing, on slumping alone, on remembering to dance with friends, on telling me that you're going to come to my house and touch my things. Erotica shapes through sensual harshness, prep discipline, a childhood puppet. Day after bliss, I never. An amazing text. And then also there was this other text, just to, to wrap it up, which was like, in the performance, which was, you know, because what's, what's happening there in, in Anya's text is she's not only describing what happened in the performance, you know, like this moment where I remember Chenna, uh, you know, the, I think it was in the middle of the sequence where there was this moment of washing hands and always throughout kind of like forever endless, this, this kind of like pointing, you know, both at, at amongst you and Jason, but also out into, you know, the, the visitors. But then also towards the end, there was like, I'm not sure if it was divided into kind of three phases or four phases, but definitely at the final phase, there is this moment where you then kind of like take up this kind of commutative kind of gesture. And then like you're writing on the wall and also Spiros documented this. There's a picture I think you will probably remember within not only the kind of like stock standard kind of like you know, bodies in, in motion kind of documentation that Spiro said, but also there's like this, you know, just a beautiful photograph of like this text on the wall. And, and it reads, whenever we talk about communicating so that the message gets across, we illustrate a misunderstanding as if ideas could be wrapped up and sent up as packages. Meaning cannot be transferred. Instead, ideas must be coded and the signals transmitted. The other person then receives and decodes the signals. And then it cuts out. I think this is a nice point as well to maybe talk about um, archiving and documentation and the relationship that has with your work, Chenna, because it's not just the performance that was presented um, as a part of Fire My Belly. We have a lot of your your posters and your, um, I guess, more graphic work that have that has been, I guess, dramaturgically placed around the Berlin space. And the, the central question is, how do we archive in the dark? Which is to say, which is what I think is to say, you know, how do we archive at all a piece which is meant to be so transient and what kind of, not so much eros, but what kind of um, intimate dynamics can we encapsulate through the act of documentation? And Joel, what you're describing seems as if Spiros is able to sort of encapsulate this affect or this feeling. But I want to, you know, go back to you, Chenna, and ask, you know, you've expressed before that you're, you're quite strict with uh, documentation and the dissemination of, of images of your work and, and, and videos of your work. And, and watching you actually uh, sort of handle this with um, us uh, during the Atanal performance was actually quite instructive because it, it was very deliberate, everything you did, which is, which is really interesting to think about in terms of, okay, how do we communicate this performance as uh, not so much a spectacle, but as an act? And what are the gestures that we want to show the public? You know, how do we frame a certain image and so on and so forth? That was really interesting for me personally. I, I wanted to ask, have you thought about fully doing away with the creation of, of traces or mediated experiences like photographs, like videos in the documentation of your work? Have, has that crossed your mind? Yes. Yes, yes, for sure. Uh, we've said a lot now from Forever Endless to Kirk Bernard at Atona. It's been a journey. Yeah, so what I can say is I, I, may, I make some jumps, but I will come to a conclusion that is very much 
will describe my practice a lot, especially when it comes to archiving. So I've been watching this film about Martin Magella. Probably you've watched it. The film where you cannot see him, but only listen to his words and see his hands. And he's like going through his archive material, no? Yeah. And it was an eye-opener for me to be like, so he's branded in anonymity, you know? So like what became his brand is like him not being present. And the reference I take from these no-photo policies, they come from... Um, from queer club culture, no? So in which these policies enable a certain freedom from the outside world. So that's where I tr try to take part in because um, the document, as I try to see it, should be like evidence. And this evidence should be enrolled in oral history. So it creates a myth around the experiences we have. And for me, it is a question like of like who is being remembered and what is be being remembered and how it is being done. And... The evidence I want to create is not the photo document, but the document that is inscribed and written through the witnessing of the performance. So what I would say, like, is what you would say is a spectacle, I would say it's a ritual. So the audience becomes the witness that inscribed, and the witness in the literal sense also of, like, our in-law, where people witness a, a crime, for instance. No, they become witnesses because they've seen something. And that is, like, that is described later through, through processing in the brain into text. So I want to have this kind of documentation, which is really hard to achieve in the arts world and in the performance world, because people want to have a photo document. And it is my wish for these performances that it's very hard to implement. Yeah, and also I think that the, the documentation isn't so much um, impossible. I mean, you're still leaving traces, right? I mean, in the, the, the JSE space, we have the traces through the words of others on a poster. Now we have the, the box um, opened downstairs in the basement where we have, you know, the outfits from Kirk Pinar and like a, the, the scent of, of olive oil and the, the lighting that's been sort of simulated in there. Like there are these kind of like more, I guess, ephemeral aspects of the work which have been contained mm. in a more controlled setting, mm. um, to use very curatorial kind of jargon here. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, the, the, it's the trace that's being uh, set aside for people to look at, as opposed to the, you know, the documentation of, of everything. There's like a spiritual notion that these traces, which like are the objects that are now at JC in the exhibition, they get a certain aura, the translation happens through, through the performance, and then they get back into the space of uh, of the exhibition space. And traces are super important because like objects and movement, they inscribe themselves, themselves in space and in memory. So what I try to do is take this, like the archive works for me through performing in these objects or in the costumes and then putting them back into space. It doesn't really work the other way around because they need this inscription. So I guess now I want to ask um, a little bit more about the notion of care, Chenna. I've read the, the two, in, two of your most recent interviews and care is a word that emerges quite a bit. And much of your practice has been spoken about within the frameworks of care and it's functioning within queer spaces, it's necessity and, and it's, um, I guess, centrality in how it brings people together or ought to bring people together. But I'm wondering at what point you might think, or if you think, that care uh, can turn toxic. Um, and I ask this because I've read... Um, Everyday Utopias, which is a book by Davina Cooper, where they write about how at times care discourses can become an overbearing kind of policing and how they function to sometimes dilute or aestheticize what care is actually seeking to do, which is to protect people and allow them to live dignified lives. And sometimes that discourse goes a bit too far. 
And I was wondering if you could speak to that maybe and how that might or might not resonate in what you do. I will speak first very positively about the notion of care. So I'm thinking care can develop itself in different ways in the positions I have, which is the position as an artistic director, but also the position as a performer in my pieces myself. And I like to take a, a term coming from transformative justice discourses. It's called facilitator or facilitation, which is translated or comes from Latin, which means making it easy or rendering, rendering it less difficult. And it describes a person who holds the space, a term close to choreographic practices. And in my role, I need to facilitate. So what are the boundaries of the people I work with? What are the boundaries of the institution? How do we collaborate? What are their needs? How do I fulfill that? And I would say that I work with, especially in spaces of queer nightlife, that with like, other like the awareness work I do for Lekin, for instance, where, where care is very important. So in the end of the night, we're holding a space for harm reduction and awareness around forms of oppression within the dark. So that's like where my notion of care comes from. No, no, I need to, I need to make decisions that people trust me in. So I, have, I feel like I have a very positive notion towards care. I can imagine that it gets like misused, but I, I don't see really a notion of toxic, toxicity in it. But then I would also throw it back towards you because I'm thinking you both as like, curators which comes also from the former <laughs> care <laughs> and for our listeners at home uh Chenna just did air quotes scare quotes curators apparently <laughs> i mean joel what about you what do you what do you think about this i mean i think Ch what Chenna was saying before about car like notation uh choreographic notation uh was kind of interesting because when I've seen the work, and the last time that I saw the work was live, was at, was at Sevillanzela. I don't know. I, I really felt like that, although we we don't have these things, which is maybe like what you would say is like what you would find in music, you still have the kind of like stylizations or manipulations or kind of like revelations of the body that come out through choreography that is directed to questions about gender or desire or even violence, you know, you know what I mean? And I think like... But care, Joel. But, but with care, it's like that comes back then to this thing of like the wrestler, you know, like this in the work that I saw in, in the Safian Sela and watching it as a viewer. So it's like as a viewer, you're watching this work and there is always this kind of like very slow buildup, which is for me, I read as like a kind of like taking care of space a little bit and also taking care of the viewers in the space, as well as the performers. Because in Chenna's work, there is always a kind of build-up. And at least in the last three works that we've seen, there is always this kind of like build-up. And as a viewer, I think it's very important from, at, at least this is what I feel is being projected in Chenna's work, is that there is also care to the viewer to kind of like prime the space, prime the experience you know, for this kind of intensity that is not only experienced in the performers doing the work. And I've read also, Chenna, you talk about that, which relates to, you know, harm reduction where, and also relates to the codes of, of wrestling as well, which is about boundaries, rules, rules of the game, let's say, you know. And I think like, you see that, you perceive that as a viewer watching the work, that you see it not only in the kind of like staged moment, let's say, you know, the, the so-called like performers taking care, da, 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 but you also see it in, in how the space is kind of like slowly atmospherically kind of 
it, it's that focus that kind of comes in that I also read that you, you kind of were like very excited about from hearing about other viewers is that there is a focus and that that viewer focus doesn't just appear. It has to be taken cared for, you know? And I think so. It's like, that's also this other element that kind of comes through when we talk about care. Mm. So I guess that's a kind of care, which is formal in the, I guess, the, the machinations or in the setup of the work. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, I asked this question because I've been thinking a lot about, I guess, how care functions in, in queer spaces and, and in general. And I find that, you know, the like many things, like many ideologies, it begins with a noble purpose then descends into utter depravity where people just bastardize what, it's, what it is. <laughs> I'm seeing a worrying trend, just not in art, but I suppose in like queer life in general, where care is turning into a different kind of beast where people can justify their ignorances um, by virtue of, um, you know, I don't want to deal with this because it is um, traumatic for me and thus I'm negating someone else's suffering. Like, it's um, what I'm trying to say, I suppose, is that people can't... Right now, I'm, I'm witnessing a lot of people who can't, I guess, hold multiple different kinds of struggles at once and not exceptionalise their own struggle to see themselves as part of a greater fabric or constellation of of struggling or suffering and then care comes in to sort of like justify that belief that okay I am singular in my in my experience and thus I don't need to care about x y and z and then and that's maybe forecasting how this might translate into artistic practice I'm not too sure but I thought it was an interesting question to ask curatorially I'm not actually too sure I mean I, I don't come from a curatorial background strangely I'm a writer and an art critic that has found myself in this role but there's one thing which I must say about Lisa Long, who was the curator of this exhibition um, and who curated you into A Fire in My Belly, is that one thing she always says is that when we speak about, you know, curatorial practice, it is you have to go back to the artist. You have to always pass things, run things by the artist. Your job as a curator is to hold the artist, you know, to support them and to deliver what they want, which sounds very simple, but coming from a background of, of writing and criticism, you work the opposite direction where you test and you, you test the assumptions and the success of what an artist has done um, against, you know, your own set of expectations and so on. And so for me, that was a kind of learning experience and also watching, because uh, you, you were the only kind of live act that we had. No, you are the only live act that we have in the exhibition. And so sort of working with you on this process was actually a really good like as a foundational way of learning how, you know, uh, um, curating an action happens. Um, watching Lisa in particular sort of deal with the, the hurdles, Jenna, would you say? The hurdles <laughs> <laughs> that we had. Um, yeah. That's the care question, I suppose, a huge one. I, I mean, Eugene, I, I think like it's interesting what you say about, yeah, the problematic of practices of care or representations of care or taking care as a tool that is then used in choreography or in performance, this kind of stuff. Um, and that it becomes a, like a shell or a proxy to kind of mask other things, you know, that can't, that can't be challenged, that can't be critiqued because it has this, this edifice or this facade of like care. And I, I do agree with you that like a hundred percent that it is something that can be hard to penetrate. I think with Chenna's work though, which is maybe like if, if we like go into a bit of like an interpretive thing in Chenna, please call me out if I'm like going completely in the wrong direction. But, but when I watch the work or when I, at least at, at Sophie and Zela and, you know, also when you, before you were talking about, you know, this interest in rituals and stuff, you know, like this, this interest in rituals, which is interest is always for me, always about care as well, you know, like having an interest is something, there is a kind of careness to it. And, 
you know, you take this, this kind of like the wrestler or this, this practice of wrestling of, of Turkish wrestling. And on one hand we could look at it and we can go, okay, so there is this representation of, of, of this kind of cultural norm, which is, I've never experienced it, but, but maybe we can assume that there is this critique of hypermasculinity, of uh, hierarchical kind of like gender norms and, 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 and all of these things are kind of violence in, inherent to it, which is like as queer people, you know, we might find astringent and not interested in. But I think what happens in, in Chenna's work when I saw it at Sevian Sailor is that it's not just simply about breaking a cultural norm or representing a cultural norm or a cultural practice that you've taken from your own biography, but it's also about kind of like crossing and like crossing those boundaries to the point where like the, the binary between what is traditional and what is radical, what is old and what is new is kind of like seen differently and expanded, you know? And then there's this like spiral that happens. And I know that when I was like watching the work, I also feel it like there's a kind of metamorphosis that happens between, I feel like anyway, in my case, between me and the performer. I not only feel that the performers are going through kind of transformation, I also feel myself going through bodily transformation and, and also my desire is going through kinds of transformation. And that's that expansion that is happening, you know. It's only successful, I think, when, you know, the care is being put into the space, you know. So it's like, I think you, I think that's where Chana's work is extremely successful in that sense, because it's like something very specific, in this case, from the biography, the artist's biography, and then presents it, and then we see anyway all the problems with it, you know, like all of the exclusions that are embedded within it. And then we see how the work opens everything up. And then even as viewers, we feel opened up to it as well. And I think that's like, that's like a, that's really an achievement in the performance. And I think that that's something that happened at Atanal as well, in particular with, you know, going back to Joel, what you pinpointed about the drawn out elements in, you know, Chenna's work, you know, this idea of, because I also saw um, the other work that was presented at How. I'm sorry, Chen, I've forgotten the name now. It's Karatenes. Karatenes, yes. Um, and the wedding work. Yeah, yes. What I what I um, sort of realized between the two is that there is this kind of rituality that underpins the work in the sense of, okay, in, in Karadenis you had these really slow, methodical uh, dressing and undressing at the beginning of the piece. And then in... Um, Kirkminar, you had the you know the wrapping and the unwrapping of the hands with the with the tape, and then the crawling through the audience to get to this central point, which is the stage, and then you know the the gesture of the oil and oiling um, both yourself and uh, Eli Autumn's, and you know this kind of um, this slowness actually for me was the expansion that you're describing, Joel. And I wanted to think maybe, Chenna, if you think that this kind of expansion or this kind of feeling of drawing out time or drawing out an action is able to situate audiences within a particular feeling. You know, for instance, Joel, you said something about violence here. And it's and then, you know, a fire in my belly is, you know, an exhibition about violence, amongst other things, but violence is, is central. And I'm wondering if you think that, you know, in that gesture or in those kinds of gestures, you're able to open audiences up to think more, I guess, poetically about, you know, um, gestures of violence or um, movements of, of violence or movements of any other feeling, you know, that you might have in mind. So this link between, you know, form, choreography and uh, concept. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot to bring down. So with slowing down, I can say that that if you slow them down, they become more apparent in space, no? 
And I feel like this the slowing down I do is just like it's still very light. You can go like you can go super slow mo where like you can't even see the motion anymore, no? And like it's like is it sculptural? Is this person moving? And then the the juxtaposition to it would be to repeat it, no? So the gesture becomes senseless. But what I need is so that so these references become clear is that they need to be slowed down. So there's a moment of like seeing no of like witnessing and you see it and you take it in and then you, like you move to the next one i guess that's how i would describe the the slowing down practice and then what was the else form <laughs> concept <laughs> the, the the link between i guess that that kind of um thinking about you know slowing things down and how that might open up um, a way for audiences to start thinking about larger concepts to do with, you know, violence or whatever other things are undergirded in the performance. Mm. Or marriage even, or like the, the ceremony yeah. of, of weddings. Like I only saw the video documentation that you shared with me, Chenna. Again, like what was interesting about that work was this kind of interest in dance as a social form. You know, like we have the wrestling, which is a kind of it's not dance, but it has a social form. You know, it's part of a kind of social practice within a social cultural kind of uh, realm. And then also with like the work that was presented at How, we have the same thing. It's taking the ritual of a wedding and you taking that, that social form and then almost creating or choreographing a kind of set of choreographies related to that, you know? And that was like, I found that also very interesting because it was always... You know, it wasn't binary, obviously, because there were three, you know, it went from the duet, from the, you know, the, the, the tradition of uh, male, female, to then something to being like uh, non-binary, you know, and we had like the three performers. And like Eugene says, like, it starts off very slowly. There are these moments of like kind of wrestling and then it kind of opens up again. And then there is like literally just like walking around the space and then that speeding up faster and faster you know and I think like I found that also as a viewer like very kind of like interesting to watch because it was like it had all of the elements which which I think we find as well in like the wrestling work um, but also in the work that we presented which was always to kind of like yeah look at like social forms of dance or like and, and seeing how that can translate into choreography um, or into performance. I wanted to like ask if I may Eugene about there is this history of like how we document da, 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 and it's like, you know, we, like there is the image da, 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 and then we have this moment where it's like with like people like Tino and whatever and other artists where, you know, there is the kind of like, you know, no images, right? And then we are now in, the, in our current space where there is a kind of like because of social media where there is like an overload of images. So I feel like this gesture of like where you engage, you know, artists like Spiros to take the picture, it's almost like this authored image against this backdrop of a kind of an overflux of images, you know, that is produced and cannot be controlled in any performance. Uh, we learned that since the 90s, that you cannot, this, this idea of no images, it just doesn't exist. It's a kind of like, it's almost like a capitalist kind of like trying to rarefy the work through a kind of like, you know, a scarcity of images. But now with the digital culture, it's not possible to do that. And we see that was a myth. My question was about like the, the dressing. You know, I, I always found that really interesting in, in the development of your work, your collaborations with different kind of designers 
who are also part of the subculture, you know, in the same way that like Spiros is part of a subculture that you belong to and are interested in and you all kind of like, we're, we're all moving through it, especially in the scene that we're in, but also like with the designers, like what is it that draws you to the designers in doing the costume or that collaboration? Like what, where, where does that come from actually? Mm -hmm. Maybe, yeah, I just one thing for the document. It's interesting because we mentioned like Spiros and Augustine, at least with Cara Dennis and uh, For of Endless, both of them have been present. And then what I try to do is really like work with these people through a longer time. Like Spiros has been around since 2018 for me. And I always ask him to document. So there's like one style of photograph that it, like if it comes out, it is like his photos that come from his style, which is very interesting. And then with Cara Dennis, we also worked with Augustine on pictures. And Augustine also filmed a little trailer for For of Endless, no? That, That was great, actually, when it came out. If I see, like, theater discourses, they work with costumes, no? So, like, you have a costume designer that creates their own fashion-slash-costumes for the pieces, which goes more into, like, a theater direction. But I, like, the, the scene I want to address, too, is, like, the, the people, the friends, the community that I'm seeing, no? So it comes more from this context that I ask the people. I mean, the last, the dresses from the Karadenis piece, they came from... Olivia Bala to started her own business and did these mesh dresses, which was really nice. She she took our measures and we came there for the fitting and she and you, you see it no if you have custom fitted dresses, you fucking see it and it looks beautiful, especially with the with this notion of 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 wedding where people buy these dresses or make them a custom made whatever. So this this notion was very important. Otherwise, I tried to work with Billy Lobos, who's a stylist. So it comes more from this reference of fashion to work with clothes rather than costumes from theater makers because there's a huge difference in that also in the economies how these how these clothes work with you know like usually a stylist works differently with clothes than a theater maker and like a difference i mean one economic difference is that the stylist like books clothes they book clothes and they take it for a day and then they send it back and With a costume for for a performance, you need it, no? Or like it gets messy. Like if I do the oil wrestling, I can't, like it gets full of oil. What should I do with it? I have to keep it myself to wash it and stuff. So you have these differences. And I like to work a lot with everyday clothes also. Like I don't like to make so, especially when it comes to the sports references, like with the oil wrestling, it was more the reference to the gyms, for instance. Uh, okay, with the wedding dress, the wedding dresses, which was a bit more extravagant. But even in the wedding dresses, you you have like it's true. You have this thing where like, which is maybe subconscious. It's my it's like kind of embedded in the work rather than being explicit. You know what I mean? But you have this thing that happens where it's like it's kind of about like body positivity. It's about transparency. These meshes. Uh, these mess dresses about that, you know what I mean? And there is this kind of intuitive leaning towards these designers who are also very much in, like they're invested or they're interested in the same ideas, the same kind of like, things that are flowing around at the moment, you know? So that that's maybe the difference where they don't approach, whereas like, you know, costume and theater designers maybe approach a narrative specifically, whereas a designer because they have their own kind of autonomy, they're not responding to something, they're creating on their own initiative or their own artistic impulse or whatever. They're responding maybe to the society at large. And I think, Chano, with your work, you are definitely responding to society, like questions in society. So that, that fit of the everyday is like, that's why you lean that way maybe. 
And it's nice that you're working with people like Olivia who aren't, you know, in corporate. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's true. I mean, designers and design houses generally reflect a zeitgeist or a political mood. And you look to, say, Balenciaga or as as legendary as the house is, a lot of their, <laughs> their, their work is um, emblematic of a latent fascism <laughs> in our current world. Um, there's a great piece in Tank magazine by Sonja Grosdenich where she reviews the European Union-inspired collection from a few years ago. Very telling and very instructive, I think, to look at fashion as a litmus test for um, how people think and what level of lobotomy we're all experiencing. Mm. <laughs> as Otessa Moshfeg once said, even though I don't really like her writing, fashion's for the fools, but it's good to be foolish from time to time. Mm. I, have maybe, I have maybe one thing to add is that, especially with performance work, like it becomes a branding, no? Like sometimes I also had like brands approach me and they're like, hey, we want to support your work. Like, do you want to take some of our clothes and then wear them for your performance? Because it becomes a form of advertisement, no? And especially when we think of the the notion of social media and like image circulation and how far that goes, you know? And if you want to optimize that, you, of course you work with brands that it's it's free advertisement for them, no? Like if, especially in the... In the context of arts, when they wear all this thing, it's like, how cool can it get? And like, how how much support? Yeah, and art and art has always wanted to be fashion. Fashion has never wanted to be as rigorous as <laughs> art. And it's this kind of like tug of war between the two. And when they meet, sometimes it's funny, isn't it? Exactly. Well, I guess that this might be a nice place to leave it. Thank you so much, Chenna, Joel, for joining us on Unreliable Narrator. <laughs> Thank you. No, wait, wait, wait. I have a question. It doesn't have to go in there. But Chenna, what is what's planned for Munich? Can you give what's us a plan for Munich? Yes, please. Okay, this, this definitely won't make it. <laughs> please, I, I'm. We're dying for it. Tell us what what's coming. Like, yeah, it's a bit complicated. I will do. So the posters that I did for JC, you know, they have this concept of the archive, and I will work with this poster series as the archive series for a new festival called Hit by an Echo at Haus der Kunst. So that will be my contribution to that. I should have performed, but it's very complicated in Bavaria in performing right now because of the pandemic. And yeah, so the pandemic things and also it's not really like the planning of it is a bit, it's a bit difficult. Mm-hmm.